Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. solar panels work in winter. Solar energy output in Australia throughout winter is surprisingly high in some cities. You can learn more about better solar energy at B-Solar. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. And that is the case every Monday night. Hello and welcome everyone. Brett Phillips with you again. Another week. The world of tennis just keeps rolling around. We've got it all covered for you tonight. And we'd love you to be involved. one 736 736 That is the number to call if you want to join in the tennis conversation tonight. You can put anything you like on the tennis agenda. You call and we'll put you on around our guests to come tonight. The Tennis Direct text, that's also available, 0433 Tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices. They've got free delivery on orders over $150. So just go to their website, shop to your heart's content tonight, tennisdirect.com.au. Use that promo code FIRSTSERVE10 and you get that 10% discount. Now on the B Solar menu tonight, Plenty of your calls. We'll head to Indian Wells again, like last week, and chat to New York Times tennis correspondent and author of The Master, the brilliant career of Roger Federer, Christopher Clary, and Aussie Max Purcell will be along for a chat tonight. He's quarantining over in Adelaide. Give us your take on Indian Wells. Tennis paradise, which we're in the middle of. one 300 736 736. Got a copy of the Australian Tennis Magazine for everyone that does uh, call in tonight. The week on tour, thanks to Yonex, celebrating 75 years performance product crafted in Japan. You can check out their latest range at uh, yonex.com. Our eyes are certainly on uh, Tennis Paradise, but maybe not for everyone. I refer to the number one American tennis player, the badass, Riley Opelka. I was only saying to a few people last week that I love listening to Riley O'Pelker every time he has a microphone in front of his mouth. We know he's got a booming serve. He's the younger version of John Isner. He was asked by Bill Simons, who uh, has, of course, the Inside Tennis magazine over in the US just before Indian Wells. Next up is the great Indian Wells, and Riley O'Pelker said it's my least favourite tournament. You've got 128 girls, 128 men. It's a beautiful event. They want to pay more than any other tournament. They do everything they can. It's just that every brand needs to do a photo shoot and you don't have time to practice. There are four or five photo shoots and you're completely tired. Tennis is secondary. I hate it. Can't think of too many that hate Tennis Paradise at uh, Indian Wells. We might delve a little more into the Riley O'Pelka diaries uh, during uh, this hour. He has had plenty of candid things to say about the state of tennis. But let's get into Indian Wells and just bring you up to speed where everything is at. If you want to talk some tennis, love to have a chat to you tonight. one 736 736 So we'll start on the women's side with the matches uh, completed today. Victoria Azarenka, the two-time Indian Wells champion, uh, got a victory, her first over Petra Kvitova since 2015. So she progresses today to take on Alexandra Sasnovich. Can you believe this? The all... Belarus or Belarusian 
Belarusian, however you'd like to say it, affair, not the uh, all-Belarus affair that we would have expected. Alexandra Sasnovich didn't expect to be at this stage of the tournament. Just think back to Wimbledon. So she played Serena Williams on centre court. Serena had to retire. She took on Emma Raducanu, the US Open champion, first round. So all the eyes were on Raducanu. How would she back up? She went down to Sasnovich. And today she's taken out Simona Halep and she thought she was going home. Yeah, it's, it's very funny because when I saw the quarter of the draw, I saw three Grand Slam champions, yeah, and Alexander Sosnovich, I was in this quarter. It was funny for me, you know? And, yeah, I played today against Simona. She's a great champion. I was so nervous in the end because I wanted to win so much. I took already tickets uh, to home, yeah, <laughs> because you never know. Like, I thought... Like 30% for me, 70 for her, she can beat me. But okay, I just go, just enjoy, you know, and I won. Wow. <laughs> wow, indeed. Uh, beat Samata Halep. Her journey continues. Azarenka Sastovich to play in the next round of Indian Wells. Jessica Bagula, what a year she's having. And it all started at the Australian Open. She has been really, really solid. Good win uh, today. She'll take on Svitolina next. That's a good matchup. Shelby Rogers, love and two, got through today. To take on Layla Fernandez, the US Open uh, runner-up. She played the last match at on Stadium 2. And Layla is a terrific competitor. Look, she did lose, of course, that uh, US Open uh, final to uh, Raducanu. She was the more accomplished of the two going in. It didn't go her way on that particular day. But there's no doubt she is heading for top 10, top 5, success. Uh, she's got a winning mentality about her. Set down today up against the uh, seasoned Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova, 5-7-6-3-6-4. So uh, Fernandez is the real deal. She's certainly not going away. And the other match on that side of the draw will be Yelena Ostapenko and Iga Sviontek. That'll be a good battle as well. Uh, plenty of good matchups. Karolina Pliskova, of course, is the top seed. Uh, she's still alive. She'll play tomorrow. Bianca Andrescu, who won the Indian Wells title a couple of years ago, is still in the draw. Barbora Grachikova, the French Open champion of this year, is still in the draw as is Coco Goff, uh, Angie Kerber, and our very own Isla Tomlanovic. And we have spoken many times about Isla on this program. She's been our number two ranked Aussie for quite some time behind Ash Barty. We know what Isla is capable of. If you've watched her play enough live, you see what she brings to the table. She looks the part, pretty solid off both wings, you know, she's got a game off the ground that can compete. Well, she got a reward over the weekend, beating the two-time Grand Slam champion, Garbinia Muguruza. She was 0-6 and six against the top 10 players coming in uh, to this match this year. It's her fourth top 10 scalp in her career. Isla reflecting on a really significant moment for her across the weekend. Coming in, I was actually really excited to play her because she beat me last few times, and one of those times was really close, and I felt like... I have chances, but I was feeling really good here in my first round, so I, I thought I could really put up a good fight today. Despite, you know, losing the second set, I, I always felt like if I start well and, and kind of get ahead, I'd give myself opportunities, and I'm very happy that this time around I, I took them and ended up with the win. I get really happy when I get into these moments where I get nervous and I manage to stay calm and, and focus on just what's, you know, on the task. Because even, even when I have in the past, you know, missed my chance, or had really tough losses against the top players 
you're like, well, okay, I'm going to learn from it. But the next time you're in the same position, it's never really the same. It's always a new, new moment. So, but you can take the lessons before and apply it. But the fact that it's always new, like in that moment, you have to problem solve. And, and I'm just happy that, you know, I, I kind of took everything I could from all the losses before and just did kind of my best to, to react in a way that will benefit me. And I knew that I could have, again, lost putting myself, you know, in good situations, but I'm going out there knowing that I'm capable and that I can. That is a really good summation of, of uh, how we think about Isla's game. And it's sometimes not the uh, the technical side for Isla. Sometimes that forehand can break down, but it's been more the, the mentality in matches. And even though she dropped that second set quite convincingly, the fact that she just stayed in the moment and just kept playing the next ball. That, that's the sort of tennis she is capable of. So now she matches up against Tamara Zidanecek, who was this surprise, absolute surprise semi-finalist at Roland Garros this year. She is the 26th seed, and that's where I believe Isla can be. And Isla's in the 40s at the moment. Her highest ranking has been 39. For me, she's a better player than Zidanecek. So we'll find out. 8.15 tomorrow morning when those two go head-to-head for a spot in the quarterfinals of Indian Wells. So that is a little look at the women's side. As far as the men are concerned, gee, there were some good matches today. I had a really good look at Murray and uh, Alcaraz, and I love these sort of generational battles. Here's Andy Murray. He's all the hip surgery he's had. He's a far cry from being the Grand Slam champion. He'll never get back to that lofty status again. But there's so much still driving Murray to compete. And uh, he loses the first set really tightly to... Elgaraz, I think it went 66 minutes. And then he comes out and wins the next two sets uh, fairly comfortably. And Elgaraz is going to be a star. You can just see it. We've already had a, a fair sample, but there's so much upside to this young Spaniard who's going to be bound for the top 10, uh, top five. There is no doubt. But I love when the older player, the more experienced player, says to the young buck, hey, buddy, just wait your turn. I've still got a bit left. And I'm going to get every bit out of myself to the day... The day I drop. And you've got a lot longer on this tour, so you're going to have your moment in the sun. And today also, for the first time in his career, Andy Murray did something that he's never done, as we find out in the post-match chat. Well done, Andy. I'm sure given the quality of the opponent and the heat and the slow court and the way you had to come from behind, was that one of the more satisfying results of the last year or so? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was. I mean, it wasn't easy out there today, yeah. Not not easy conditions, very hot. You know, court is incredibly slow. Balls after, you know, a couple of games are also extremely slow. So it's, yeah, not, not, not easy out there. Not easy to finish points. You know, not getting many, many free points on your serve or anything like that. So, yeah, it was... Um, was was a good win. And talk us through the underarm serve. I can't ever remember seeing you do that before. No, I mean I've never done it on the tour before, but you know the courts are the courts are so slow and you know if you look since Wimbledon they made some improvements to my serve and was getting lots of free points and you know serving a lot of aces in the matches that I played mm-hmm. uh recently and yeah obviously played for 3 hours today and I you know I served three aces, you know in a in a long match, one of them being the the underarm serve. So, you know if you if you look where he was standing at the beginning of the match to return the first serve in comparison to he changed that at the end of the first set uh, he started returning from further back 
so it was even harder to get three points on the serve and I thought you know if he's going to stand that far back and I'm getting no no love from the the court and the conditions like why not try it and see if I can bring him forward a little bit again wasn't expecting obviously to get get an ace out of it but yeah he was so far back he didn't didn't obviously react wasn't expecting it and yeah I was thinking about using it you know at times and in, in the third set but I was you know I was obviously up in the score and you know I was doing a little bit better and you know didn't feel like I needed to but yeah certainly when guys are standing where they are to return serve now it's it's a smart play a smart play indeed uh, no doubt uh, from Andy Murray up against Alexander Zverev next that is a good matchup good win for the demon today he needed a win he'd lost his last four on tour Alex Demonor as he tries to keep that ranking inside the top 30 at the back end of the year uh, it was one four down against Vukic in that second set. Fellow was he did a good job to come through qualifying, but it just shows the gap between Demonor and Vukic, the way that that match turned around in the uh, in the second set, and you know, Vukic just uh, didn't make enough balls um, uh, towards the the back end of that uh, particular set. Stefano Sitsi passed through today, fifty second win for the season. He's played a lot of tennis. Uh, gee, there's some good matchups on the other side of the draw coming up tomorrow. Shapovalov, Karatsev, TFO, Herkash, Harris up against Kasper Rude. Uh, some really good quality matchups coming up on the men's side of the draw. And uh, John Pierce, never ever forget the great man. Uh, all the Kuyong are always behind uh, Johnny Pierce. Uh, he and Filip Polasek uh, won two. Uh, well, one through the match tiebreak. It was two tight sets and a match tiebreak to get through to the next round in the doubles at Indian Wells. And, of course, made the final in San Diego, semi-final US Open. So uh, they are building some nice uh, synergy, uh, that particular team. Another big week of tennis ahead. You can learn more about better solar energy at our good friends at B Solar. No more expensive electricity bills. They're trusted, guaranteed savings and free yearly checkup. So talk with a B Solar advisor. Search for B Solar. Or visit b.solar to learn more and check out our website. Plenty going on there on a daily basis. All our wraps from Indian Wells, thefirstserve.com.au, right across our social channels, our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, YouTube. Uh, subscribe. We've got plenty going up uh, during the week. That is where you can get your daily tennis fix. We're going into quarantine in Adelaide. Max Purcell coming up next on the first serve. Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With B-Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B-Solar advisor. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management. And glgcorp.com, the first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to the first serve. We talk the world of tennis every Monday night. You can do it with me, one 736 Max Purcell in just a moment. Christopher Clary, New York Times journalist at Indian Wells. Greg and Strathbogie, one of our very keen listeners. Greg, uh, great tennis fan. Welcome. Uh, enjoying the show, mate. You're the king of pronunciations. Don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, I'll, st- I'll, I'll stumble now, Greg. Don't pump it up too much. <laughs> no, no, you're doing well. What, do you, what are you going I was just wondering if you knew uh, what player supporters out there. I saw John Millman have a great win, but he looked really distressed and he, re- he looked fed up with tennis, which he said. But I'm just wondering, I know for the Australian Open, there's a lot of player welfare support. Janet Young used to do it for a very long time and other people. But I'm just wondering if Tennis Australia invests in tournaments overseas where they've got people on the ground to you know, help the Aussies in a situation like he's in. I'll ask uh, Max Purcell that in, in just a moment. I, I don't know specifically. I don't think there's too many travelling from Tennis Australia 
on the road. Obviously, there's the player, there's you know the coach where they can travel in these COVID times. Uh, obviously, it's it's a smaller travelling party at the moment. There's you know a physio support from. Uh, TA, uh, but I'll, I'll ask Max that in just a moment. But yeah, it's been a tough year for John. I mean, we had him on the show a couple of weeks ago. The fact that he hasn't been home, he left Brisbane in January of this year to come and bubble in Melbourne, and he's been on the road ever since. So if you've been away that long playing high-level sport, it's uh, it's you know not going to be all uh, smiles every week. There's uh, tough periods, and you know he's a he's a great character and always been great with his time on this show. But it tests everyone to be away that long and to be in that sort of uh, that sort of environment. But, uh, Greg, I'll uh, pose that question to my next guest, amongst many other things to talk to Max Purcell about, who is certainly a favourite. Every time we talk about Max, we get some great SMS uh, traffic here. I've been wanting to talk to him for a little while, really enjoyed his journey uh, this year. I've had a lot to do with his coach, Nathan Healy, across the journey. He's quarantining over in Adelaide, which is not the funnest thing to do at the moment. If you follow Max on social media, um, you might have a, maybe a few tips for him just to uh, get him through the next four or five days. Uh, Max, great to have you on the show. Hey, BP. How you going, mate? Yeah, going well. Uh, how, how many days have you got left? You look like you're about to uh, <laughs> climb up the walls, out the ceiling. You're just, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, look, we, we can all complain in these sort of situations. There's people always yeah. doing it worse in the world, but uh, quarantining's no fun for anyone. No, I got um, I get out Thursday morning. Nathan, I yeah, we we got a flight nine fifty Thursday morning back to Sydney. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm getting through it. The the days are a little long once it gets to after lunch, getting through to dinner when I got nothing to do. But um, other than that, I'm fine. Hey, just on that question that Greg posed. I mean, you've been away for about I think four months, but I mean, you know, generally Australian tennis players spend longer um, stretches on the road overseas than other countries who can you know, zip home to the States or uh, Europe. What what sort of support is on the road in regard to the Australian players? Um, it, is, it has been about five and a half months, I think. Um, but we, uh, this year, not, not a whole lot of support. Um, Craig's, Craig's, you know, given us um, some options, I guess it's some bases and, and whatnot. But realistically, it's a little easier just to try and contact other players um, and kind of ask where they're training and, and trying to set up things that way. But um, it, it is pretty hard to offer support um, from an Australian standpoint because if you want to send anyone anyone over, it's an, ex, it's an expensive gig. Um, but I guess my support was I had a little bit of funding from the start of this year and then the wild card, which, which helped me bring Nath over. Yeah, because obviously at the start, and I suppose you, you can probably explain the difference of having your coach, Nathan Healy, on the road as opposed to doing it sort of remotely with him. Uh, take us inside just the value of being able to have him there with you face-to-face and in that environment, not only, you know, practising, competing, but also away from away from that as opposed to not having him there. Yeah, um, it, it, makes, it makes a huge difference. I was a little nervous about it at the start of the year when I had to leave. Um, that's why we kind of talked about the whole playing as much doubles at the bigger tournaments so I can get as a lot of singles practice with the top guys. Um, but yeah, because we felt like going away with no coach, if you, if you did start the, the challenger singles grind again and knowing that you're going to be away for a while and you have, a, have a, some, some losses in a row to start, you can't really, you, where do you go? You can't, you know, there's no working with your coach after a match or taking a week off with your coach to go practice. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing like that to do. There's really no specifics. So um, I was lucky that when I was playing singles, I actually started doing really well. So there wasn't a whole lot where I felt like 
damn, I need Nathan here. But then when he got there, the, the extra work we do off the court, the mental side of things, it just made it made it a whole lot easier. And I just I was really just worried and stress free, and I started playing some of my my best tennis. Yeah, I'll ask you about the off court stuff because it's interesting. I know Nathan's whole coaching philosophy and the play awake. Uh, uh, set up that he's uh, surrounded you with to you know allow you to be the best competitor that you can. But uh, look for those that haven't followed your journey. I mean, we certainly here on the first serve, um, you know, follow every player, and we've seen you rise up through you know the ITS, the challenges, and you know, and I suppose for for people who are going along to the Australian Open, go back to last year when you and Luke uh, made the doubles final. They're seeing this name Max Purcell, and thinking, okay, well, I better find out a little bit more about this guy, and he's made the doubles final and. And that's when you sort of, I suppose, were on a, a bigger stage. And then this year, what you've been able to do in singles, as you mentioned. So you, you go away three months after the Australian Open and, and you get to the grass of Eastbourne and you have a week that maybe you couldn't have even expected possibly at that stage. You beat a guy, Kevin Anderson, a two-time Grand Slam finalist in uh, qualies. You beat James Duckworth, who's had a very good year. You beat Gail Monfils, and we know his tennis resume. Just take us to that week and what that did for you as a singles player. Um, yeah, Nathan and I do a lot of mental work about getting rid of any beliefs we have. So um, I guess from the work we've done, the mental side of any beliefs that I feel like I that, that were holding me back, we kind of just get rid of those and it eases a lot of mental stress. And, and then from all the training that we'd been doing as well, I was just getting really confident in where my game was at. And I was kind of feeling not um, if, but when and... Um, yeah, I guess rocking up there to play doubles with, with Luke, getting an alternate spot into the qualifying, then a, then a lucky loser spot into the main draw. I just kept kind of running with it. Gr- grass, for sure, is my, my favourite surface, and Nathan and I do a lot of net work and volley work so and slice work. So, I don't know, I just felt really comfortable out there, and I'm, I'm since training with um and playing doubles at the tour events before and hitting with a lot of the top singles players, I just kind of felt like each session, each practice session, uh, I was belonging with these guys a lot more so i went out there thinking this is no different to a practice session i mean i've been beating a lot of these guys in practice sets so why not beat them in a match mm. and yeah i did that and then yeah the year's just gone upwards from there no doubt you then go on to new Time, win the challenger there and then a phone call comes and hey max you pack your bags you're coming to tokyo out of the olympics <laughs> yeah that was that phone call i mean that, that's that is, uh, that's an incredible thing to get. I mean, I've done a lot of work with Sam Groth on this show who got a very last-minute call-up to Rio uh, back in 2016. And, you know, most athletes have uh, a four-year period where they're building up to an Olympic Games. Yeah, I, um, it, was, it was a hard one. I got kind of called after my quarterfinals match in Nurse Khan. And I was at that point. It's, it's pretty hard to climb the rankings at the moment. So I really wanted to do everything I could to get into US Open qualities. Yep. Um, so I was, you know, back and forth with Jamin, and like, when do I have to decide by? Because I really don't want to miss the Olympics, but I really also don't want to miss the U.S. Open qualifying. Because you know, from what happened at Eastbourne, I was like, you know, who's, who knows what can happen at a Grand Slam? And I, yeah, I, I won my quarterfinal match. I screw it, you know, let's go, let's play the Olympics. I've always wanted to ever since I was a little kid. And then I go there for for doubles, and then end up, you know, last minute getting a call up to play singles when Andy pulled out. Yeah, another biggest win of my career and then uh, I guess a, a couple more wins later and I didn't have to worry about qualities for the US Open at all I got given the major wild card yeah and that it all worked out and that biggest win was against Felix Auger I assume and he's uh, obviously had a, a fantastic year and 
you know, closing in on the top 10 and being a, a star junior. Um, just take us back to that day when you're in, you know, you're in Olympic colours. It's, I suppose, in a lot of ways, you know, it's an odd Olympics with no crowds and such a different buzz. But I imagine, and I spoke to Jamie Crabb the week before, that uh, when everyone was in the player village, that once you're in that little bubble, regardless of what was going on outside and no crowds in the stands, it was just the thrill of being an Olympian uh, took over any of that. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, tennis lacks a lot of uh, that, that team environment stuff, you know, being an individual sport. So getting over there and, and not having to compete for the first, I guess, five days was was really special. And just getting that whole team environment was really exciting. Um, but yeah, I, I rocked up that day knowing that I was like, uh, I guess it was the second day. So knowing I was like the, the first alternate out essentially, but I was like, you know, who's going to pull out, right? So um, I'm there. I've got a couple of extra shirts and shorts. I know I've got uh, doubles later with Piersy, and then I'm I'm just getting off the bus when we get in there, and Crabby uh, calls me saying like, "Yeah, man, you're you're in." So I'm like, "I'm like, I'm in what?" And I'm in doubles there. I'm like, "Yeah, like like what?" So Andy's pulled out. You're in, and I'm, I had to call up Piersy to get him to to bring more gear over for me, and <laughs> had a couple hours to prepare, and then. Yep. Yeah, going out in the centre court there, and there's no crowd, but you know it's a, it's a big court and against a, a big player, and I just I felt really comfortable, and it was a really good match. So then on to uh, the US Open, you, you take a, a set off Yannick Sinner, and we know he's just had an amazing two or three years and going to be a, a star of the game. Uh, mixed doubles uh, semi quarter final with Matty Ebden in. Uh, the doubles, and then you finished off making a, a final in Columbus at challenger level. You then pulled out of Indian Wells qualities and you decided to come home. But just before we get to that, I mean, the US Open across uh, those three, just that match against uh, Sinner, I mean, he's obviously had an incredible period, as I mentioned. Just take us back to your recollections of that and, and grabbing that set off, Yannick. Yeah, um, first two sets I just tried to kind of play how I had been playing and he was far too good from the back um uh and I kind of just looked at Nathan we both just you know like you know I'm not going to beat this guy from the back let's 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 change it up and I hadn't served and volleyed a lot in matches before I'd done it like you know one every three one every four points and I look to get to the net when I can and I I feel good up there but seven volleying returning chip and charging uh, pretty foreign to me to do every every point and then I just thought you know like Let's just do that. Let's see how we go. And I managed to find a spot where Yannick, Yannick didn't really do anything with a certain return, um, and you know got a little lead in that set. Won the, won the third set doing that. It was a bit unlucky um, at the start of the fourth, not to break him to get up another early break in the fourth as well. But um, yeah, from that one, I guess set of just knowing like, geez, guys, guys, an unreal returner. I've managed to find a spot where I can serve volley and and, and win a set. And I just confidence for the rest of the trip i started surveying up almost everything my next two mm. tournaments and and just felt so comfortable in the net like not looking for a seven volley with an easy volley just looking for any any kind of first volley that i'd yep. be able to do something with and it was yeah it was huge for me yeah really noticeable i watched a lot of the matches at the columbus uh, challenger and yeah certainly you could uh, uh, see that change and the decision to come home now and obviously a lot of the aussies are having to make the call do i do i stay at uh, right towards the end of the season and you know, there's the risk that, uh, you know, I maybe miss out on a flight or two because it is difficult to get back to Australia. What What's the thought process to come back now? Um, yeah, well, originally the plan was to finish at Indian Wells anyway, so we weren't going to miss out on, on too much. And I thought, you know, we, we finished on a high note. And I kind of leave, um, leave uh, 
Nathan up to making the decisions. You know, he, I leave him in, in control of what we should do with, with my career. And we had such a good nine, ten-week training block before I left at the start of the year. So we thought, why not Why not like try and do that again, have another good eight, nine-week week training block before trying to hit Doha or Melbourne, whichever one, um, hard next year when everyone else is potentially coming back tight at the end of the year or, you know, all these other guys from, from overseas um, are going to be annoyed going in the bubble and whatnot. So, yeah, I think it was just a decision. We played a lot of tennis back half of this year with singles, but very rarely do you get these extended training mm-hmm. blocks and we were like, you know, let's try and make the most of that. And from here, I mean, I mean, I don't know if you heard what Nathan said. I won't maybe uh, say it to you what he said on this show about eight to ten weeks ago. What you could become, uh, because you know sometimes you can get too far ahead of yourself in this game. But I, I imagine, and I, I look at your game, and I think, well, there's massive upside. I mean, right now in the live rankings, you're sitting at 175, and we know that that can be whittled down pretty quickly with some. Uh, really, really good uh, results. I mean, do you feel like now that you really, you really belong, and that uh, this is just the beginning? Uh, yeah, for for sure. With the whole COVID rankings as well, it's kind of screwed up a lot of things. So I think realistically, I should be closer to that one forty mark, and a lot closer to that top hundred mark as well as points. But hopefully, that kind of fizzles out next year, where I get mm. more of a chance to play for that. But yeah, sure, the top hundred feels uh, within really close reach and I feel like my game's only gotten better in the last year, two years, two and a half years. And we, we still feel like we have a, a lot to work on and, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly the biggest guy out there. So a lot of physicality I can work on as well. And, yep. and again, more mental work. So we're always, we're always trying to get a, a little bit better every, every time we go on court or every, every time we really do anything every day. So yeah, I'm hoping for a really big next year, but again, I'm not putting any pressure on myself because like you said as well, like a few big results can get you there anyway. So yeah. I'm not going to put a timeline on it and hopefully it just kind of happens. And just this play awake theory, so a holistic approach to sport. I mean, Nathan has, I suppose, spoken about it on this show and uh, to me off air, but just give us your take as the person who's living and breathing it to, to have the, the full package mentally, physically, to be, to be able to go out there and do what you do best. Uh, just give us a little insight into that, that whole theory. Yeah, he, he likes to say he's a bit of a life coach, does Nathan, yeah. uh, a little bit of a mentor, um, like life mentor. Because, uh, yeah, I'm, a, a tennis relationship with a coach, I mean, if it's if it's purely on-court stuff, I can't imagine it being any any fun, right? So well, we kind of bring every, everything into it. He's like my best mate, yeah, my life coach, my tennis coach. And mm. uh, I guess since being with him, we've just, we've just brought so much more enjoyment into the game, which is taking all the all the pressure off myself and yeah taking away all the beliefs why anything that he i feel is, is holding me back or anything that he might think is holding me back we just do uh our work i guess on it is what he calls it and it's just anything we we do work on and it just it, it opens you up to just you know whatever happens happens and you can't change it and it's for you so we just find the positives out of everything and it's, it's really relaxing and uh yeah it just yeah sense of relief i guess and it's it's great listening to him because he's got such a like a happy life and everything. Yep. So it just it rubs off of me, and you know we we care about being better tennis players, but but better humans as well. And yeah, it's really nice, a really nice way of going about being a coach. Well, you're making a great team. There's no doubt, Max. Great to chat to you. We could chat for hours and hours. Love to get you back on the show at some stage. Uh, good luck getting uh, out of quarantine, doing a nice block, and gearing up for a massive 2022. It's been uh, a real thrill to actually watch you grow and progress and. Your branded tennis has been refreshing this year. So uh, good luck on the continued journey. 
Thanks, BP. Cheers, mate. Good on you, Max. Max Purcell, uh, great to have a chat. Been wanting to do that for some time. You can go shopping at Tennis Direct. So use that promo code FIRSTSERVE10. Get the 10% discount. Shop to your heart's content tonight. TennisDirect.com.au Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With B-Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B-Solar advisor. Visit B.Solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group. Leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. Brett Phillips with you on a Monday night as we are right throughout the tennis season. Great to catch up with Max Purcell. And if you've missed that, you can catch the full interview at our podcast, of course, thefirstserve.com.au. Billy's in Ascot Vale tonight. Billy, welcome along. Yeah, hi, VT. Thanks for taking the call. Pleasure. Just two quick questions, um, VT. Uh, Emma Renekundu, I really think she's a breath, breath of fresh air for women's tennis, but I'm just a bit concerned she's, that she's not only a one-hit wonder. I thought she would have got part at least the first round at Indian Wells. I didn't expect her to win it, but I thought she would have got through at least the first or second rounds. But I just hope she's not a one-hit wonder. But I, basically, I don't think she is, but I don't know what your opinion is. And secondly, with the Ashes being able to come now to Melbourne to the Boxing Day Test. What does that mean for tennis in January? Does that mean it's more of a green light now or still up in the air? Well, just on uh, on Raducanu, look, she was playing Sasnovich, who has got about, what, 10 more years' experience on the tour. So Raducanu is going to have some uh, hiccups and bumps. And women's tennis, I mean, it's just changing by the day. So you can be flavour... Uh, one month and well, win a US Open, which was is still extraordinary. But and for her to replicate that in a day in day out is, is just not going to happen. So where she sits in the pack, we'll have to wait and see on Raducanu. But I don't think she's going to be a one hit wonder. But she's just back in the pack of players. The tennis, I don't have any fresh in, uh, information tonight. But uh, look, the Australian Open is going to be here. It's likely to be a mixture of Melbourne and Sydney as far as uh, the lead up tournaments are concerned. It's in the hands of the federal government right now to decide on uh, vaccinations, uh, visas, what's going to allow you to get in the country. So all that to play out. But the tennis will go ahead, there's no doubt, and we'll hopefully bring some fresh uh, news on that next week. Well, Christopher Clary, of course, award-winning sports uh, columnist from the New York Times. I was uh, lucky enough to catch up with Chris earlier today. He is on the grounds of Indian Wells. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's a great place, as you know, from your experience. I think what makes it great, I realized thinking about this today, being back here again, was just, I think the, uh, you know, the idea of it being really um, different than anything else that the players would see. Everything else is European cities or cities around the world, but this, you know, it's a relatively small community, Indian Wells, and it's just a very different kind of topography, different kind of vibe, and I think the players really enjoy that sort of a distinct quality of it, if you know what I mean? So I think that's part of it as well. So I feel like it's uh, it's something that really connects with the the players and it gives them a, a change up. Obviously, it's a huge change up this year, the fact that it's in October instead of in March. To be honest with you, the atmosphere is not at all the same. It's uh, probably half full compared to a usual crowd here at Indian Wells for a lot of reasons. I think there are a lot of factors in that. But for me, as a journalist, having been here many years, um, I always look forward to it. And the other thing that's a bit of a negative for us this year is that you know one of the great things about Indian Wells is it's not a grand slam, even though it's gotten much closer. So the players are usually more relaxed here and more accessible to us as reporters because of the quarantine or the COVID regulations. We haven't been able to interview the players one-on-one in quite a long time. So that part of it's a bit different too. But overall, the fans are happy, the players are happy, even though the big stars are missing, and it's going pretty well. Chris, I was reading a few reports, particularly from the British Lawn Tennis Writers Association the last few days. I think they'd penned a 
a letter to the ATP and the WTA in comparison to other sports in saying that the sooner we can uh, get back as as the uh, the travelling media pack to having that one-on-one face-to-face rapport with the players, the quicker the better. What's been just your discussions in and around being at Indian Wells the last few days of when we might see that possibly come back? Look, I totally agree with my British colleagues on that. And uh, I've been, haven't been putting out any letters myself, but I've been talking to people behind the scenes about it in uh, the ATP and WTA. And I think I think it's overdue at this point. I covered the Open Golf uh, in England this summer. They managed to make you know access available to the golfers to report reporters on site with long boom mics and outdoor access. You know, here we are in Indian Wells, and it's what we're in the uh, the 30s in temperature in Celsius and the 90s in uh, in Fahrenheit. <laughs> you know, if you can't do it outdoors here, where can you do it? I just understand. I think part of the factor is a lot of the players aren't vaccinated, right? So that's part of it too. You know, so they want to protect the players. I think everybody who comes in this uh, facility here has to be vaccinated to get in. That's part of the process. I had to be vaccinated. All the reporters do. I think we need to do our jobs properly to be able to interview players face to face. Zoom only encourages people to work remotely. It takes away the public access to the uh, to these star athletes. So I, I'm pretty frustrated at this point. I got to tell you. Hopefully, it's going to be resolved in well, hopefully the next 12 months uh, around the world. Uh, it looks like we're going to be in a better place. But who knows? We go uh, well, particularly here in Melbourne, we go one day at a time uh, because we've been extremely conservative to uh, most, uh, if not all, of the <laughs> the rest of the globe. Just to some of the encore action i love when there's the the generational battles and today i'm watching andy murray the warrior who won't go away he still is so determined to be the best player that he can be even though you know the, the body's not allowing him maybe to do all the things that it used to do and here's this young spaniard who no doubt in my mind is going to be an absolute star uh, he's already a young star with so much upside in carlos alcaraz now i love when the the oldest seasoned player comes back like Murray does today and says, hang on, young man, you threw everything but the kitchen sink at me and I still found a way and you're going to get your time, but there's still a little bit of life in the old dog yet. That's exactly right. I mean, I think at some point, the Alcarazes and Sissipasas and Medvedevs and those that group will take over the game entirely. We all know that. But I think it's been a great service to the game of tennis that not just Murray, obviously, Djokovic has continued on, Federer and all these guys are playing and they're actually giving this new generation a chance to prove themselves, rub up against these players, these big stars and make their names by by doing that. I talked to Federer about that for my book and I just came out and he talked about the, uh, the fact that he he, he recognizes that and he wanted to be part of the chance of giving that new generation a chance to play him because he really enjoyed getting to play Sampras and, and Agassi and that group as well. So I feel like a match like today here in the desert in the heat, 34-year-old Andy Murray going up against somebody who's almost half his age on the court and just battling. It's like he did at the U.S. Open, you know, it sets a pass in the first round, five sets, almost, you know, four plus hours. You got to respect that. And ultimately... Andy's not going to achieve what he achieved before. He won't be number one again. He won't be an Olympic gold medalist probably again. He's not going to win Grand Slam titles, but he's getting a lot of satisfaction out of this uh, final act of his career. You can just feel it. I mean, he knows how to play tennis. He understands the game very well, and, and he proved it against Alcaraz today. And threw in the underarm serve for the first time in his career. As a lot of players have been commenting the last few days, the courts have been, well, they're probably the slowest hard courts in the world, so you don't get as much bang for your buck. In terms of uh, that first serve, he's noticing that Alcaraz is standing back quite away, which a lot of players do now in in the return games. Uh, went with the underarm serve for the first time, but I think it was probably justice was served there with a little bit of the uh, comeuppance. But I think you know that's as you said before. Andy Murray's thirty four. Um, he's out here doing it because he loves it. I don't think any other reason you can find for it than that. He doesn't need the money, doesn't need the glory. I don't think um, he's already knighted. What else can you get, right? 
So I think basically um, he needs to improve, even at this age, what he can. And uh, tactically, maybe that's the best way he can do it and, and find solutions under duress against these, uh, these young, talented players. Speaking of young, talented players, I mean, Alexander Zverev's had an incredible 12 months on court. It's almost like he can just totally separate everything that's going on on court, all the stuff that is going on off the court. The ATP have now launched this investigation. Many people have said it's taken way too long for them to do that. Can I just get your own take on this situation and where do you think it'll end up? Because for the ATP tackling these sort of issues, it is not the place they really want to be having to delve into. And I mean, there's been a lot of governing bodies in sport across the globe who have been slow to react to different things within their sport over the journey. And they probably don't want to go into these sticky sort of areas, but they have to. What do you think is going to come out of this in the long run? A couple of things. I think also on Zverev, I mean, it's true that lately he's been playing as if it's not bothering him. But for quite a while, when these allegations first emerged, it was bothering him quite a lot. And it was really affecting his tennis back in, um, you know, 2019 and early 2020. So, you know, I feel like it has had a big impact on him. And and, and it, if it, there's any truth to these things, it really should. I mean, it's uh, these are serious allegations from his former girlfriend. And the tricky thing, of course, as you know, is there weren't any formal charges brought. No legal case was made. That's part of the reason why I think the ATP was slow to react to it. The other issue is you have a sport that's very global in tennis, a lot of different regulations and rules, and you have independent contractors. This is not like, you know, the, the AFL or the NFL in the U.S. where you got players that are under contract to a league, part of that structure and employees basically of these different franchises. These are independent people. And so in a case where you have no legal case being made, no charges formally being brought, I think that's sort of been the one of the hurdles they've had to try to overcome here uh, as an organization. And as you know, tennis has an alphabet soup of, organ of organizers and governing bodies. So all that's been a factor. I think the legacy of this, however it turns out, and I don't want to speculate about that because obviously these are serious matters, but I would say that the legacy is that there's going to be a, a way to go forward in the future, which is a good thing. I think tennis is a sport because of the, the nature of it that's exposed to uh, abuse issues. A lot of things happen behind the scenes. A lot of players are from different parts of the world where there isn't the same oversight. So I'm happy to see that, but I do think it's more complicated for the ATP than people realize. No doubt. I need to ask you how your book is going, Chris. I heard you on with uh, Jared Waitley at US Open time, give a full insight into uh, the master, the uh, brilliant career of Roger Federer, a New York Times uh, bestseller. It's uh, obviously available uh, here in Australia. We'll tell you about that in just a moment, but I know you put a hell of a lot into this and really used that downtime in tennis last year through the COVID period to get stuck into completing a journey <laughs> that, that you had started. And I imagine the response has been terrific. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's for me, it's a new territory in the sense that I've been writing, you know, basically a thousand words at a time every day for 30 plus years. So to really dig into something that's a book length project like that, over 400 pages and trying to sum up something as you know, long and nuanced and complex as Roger's career, really. And not just Roger's career. This book's kind of about the whole era of men's tennis we've experienced with Nadal and Djokovic. And the reason I wanted to write it was because, you know, just because of my job in the New York Times and um, and being around long enough, right? You know, I've had a lot of access to these guys over the years and I felt like it would, I would really regret it if I didn't try to put it down in some kind of a long narrative. And it has been really gratifying. I mean, I, I, I won't kid you to see your book wherever it ends up on the New York Times bestseller list for however long it ends up on there. It's a big thrill for a writer to see that. I won't forget that for sure. I've done a lot of um, interviews with Australia and it's a country I love and I've been coming there a long, long time. So it's anyway, to connect to uh, the Australian public on the book is, is appreciated. And I also feel like uh, there's a lot of Australia in the book. 
Great to catch up with uh, Christopher Clary. So many uh, talking points out of uh, Indian Wells and the uh, the bigger uh, tennis pitcher. And, of course, get a copy of his uh, Roger Federer book, The Master, is an, an absolute beauty. And I need to mention, of course, Asti, great supporters of our show, Melbourne's leading synthetic grass court surface and construction specialist, Asti Tennis Courts. They're trusted by Melbourne tennis clubs and councils. Check out aste.com.au. We'll come back and wrap up the first serve. Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With B-Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B-Solar advisor. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management. And glgcorp.com, the first serve, your home of tennis. Racing through another Monday night. Always great to have your company as we talk at the world of tennis. If you miss any of our live shows, head to our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Go to our live radio page. Our full show each week is a podcast. There you can listen when it does suit you. There's a few on my watch list. One of those is young 20-year-old Rinky Hiji Carter. I was watching the final uh, the stream in Portugal uh, last night. He uh, went down in that final, fourth final for the year. He's won three titles at ITF level. He's 33-11 and 11, uh, win-loss. Uh, the New South Welshman is uh, going very nicely. I had a good chat to him in the juniors at the US Open about uh, two years ago, three years ago now. Uh, Well-spoken. Uh, he's uh, got a, a nice brand of tennis, which I think is developing in the right direction. Where it takes him, we'll have to wait and see. Ellen Perry has made the final in France uh, since the US Open. We know she's played a lot of doubles this year, Ellen, at that much higher level, but 10-4 and four uh, playing at the ITF level as she uh, plays a fair bit of singles in the back part of the year. Uh, Riley Opelka, we mentioned at the start of the show, Raw, Real and Riley meet the number one player in America, badass Riley Opelka, who spoke to Bill Simons inside Tennis Magazine. He said the media, uh, tennis media sucks. These guys are terrible, according to Riley. There are some bad journalists. You have some guys that just criticise they look to be super negative, guys that know nothing about tennis. I think we have the worst media of any sport, quite frankly. So I think there's a few that would um, rebut that. But it is tough for the journalists during COVID, and I haven't travelled over the last 18 months because it's just too tough from Australia and having to pay for hotel quarantine coming back here. But all the journos have been on the ground have been doing all these interviews via Zoom, haven't had that face-to-face contact uh, with the players to build that rapport and the relationships that you do need with the players so they can uh, absolutely trust you. Our show tonight, thanks to Tennis Marketer, dedicated to helping tennis businesses right around the world grow online. You can get your website and social media pages professionally set up for you by experts who absolutely know their tennis. So visit this week, tennismarketer, or one word, .com.au. More news on the Australian Open next week. Plenty of great special guests to come. Check out our website, thefirstserve.com.au, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We're covering Indian Wells right to the final stages on Sunday. If you're having a hit, hit them beautifully this week. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.